Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Now where it is now, everybody wants a piece of the market. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny! I don't remember asking you a thing. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you? With all due respect, what the f*** are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me, tell me what's funny. You represent the idiocy of today. I did not know that. English mother do you speak it? Are you listening to me? That's my together, my together. Nice personality combination, hostile and intolerant. So that's, that's it then. No one else really knows anything. Well, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom, Mr. Matt Weber on the board. Back from a week in Vegas. You can tell us all about the weather in Vegas. Not so hot, it doesn't appear. SP Futures down 15. NASDAQ Futures down 61. They were down 30 last night, so we've come back some. Do we have Mr. Uh, Greg, uh, Mr. Greg Pappas with us? Chief. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Did you have a good Easter and everything? So for me, Easter's next week. How was yours? Well, I mean, it doesn't mean you get to go to somebody else's and eat anyway. <laughs> that I did. I, 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 wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't surprise me at all that you did the double Easter dip or going to. That's the best <laughs> part. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. What, uh, you guys are, but isn't, uh, this is kind of, I'm not, I'm not big on all these other religious dates, but it's kind of rare. There's Easter, Ramadan, and uh, Passover kind of in the same week, aren't they? Yeah, week? the rules for uh Eastern is, I believe, it has to be after Passover. So since Passover isn't done yet, I want to say we wait uh, for the Sunday after. So in this case, we're Eastern is one week after Western. Well, you guys always got to be a little different, you know. That's what you guys are. What can I tell you? <laughs> Solar versus <laughs> lunar calendars. I want to say. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was. I was getting the whole story about. Uh, well, I wasn't sort of reading. It, it wasn't like I memorized it. it was. The first, the first full moon after something something determines the Easter of like next year. You got it. So it's the first full moon after the vernal equinox, and uh, what is it? Passover for Eastern, but it's set because uh, for Western because the Gregorian calendar is different than the Julian calendar. Did we have a full moon like this weekend too? This is, I mean, this is way more, this is way, way more than I know. Did yeah. Some guy yeah, was talking about definitely four, a full moon. Uh, did you do anything crazy like howl or anything? Not particularly. No, I'm just saying. Sitting right. around eating potato chips is about <laughs> as creative as I well, got. Watching the Bulls miss three pointers. Oh, yeah, man! All right, so that, that was a fun season while it lasted. Yeah, they got three more games. <laughs> the, Haw- the Hawks are mercifully going to end here pretty soon, I think. But uh, anyway, uh, we uh, with Greg, we all know we talk into. Uh, we talk more about commodity futures and well, which is affecting everybody. Everybody now, the oil and okay. What is what is the story? Do we want the good, bad, or ugly? Uh, why don't we start? Is there anything good? Well, good is the government says that we're all okay and we're going to make it, and I'm I'm kind of in agreement with that because in the U.S. we have a lot of natural resources and our fertilizer and such are not impacted as much as much as the Europeans at least. And, you know, we've got great land and a whole lot of shale oil. So, you know, I think we're going to be okay. 
but uh, a lot of the European countries might have some serious uh, cost problems. How much? Uh, um, well, I don't, I don't want to make this a so a that's dis- a good one. Yeah. Well, I don't want to make this a huge dissertation. A because I don't know enough about it. Uh, you might. What What is the the the, the parallels and the trade offs between uh, amount of fertilizer you need? Amount of I don't know I don't know if we import the insecticide. The amount of insecticide you need, and someone is in the GMO stuff. Uh, you need less for some of the GMO stuff because you specifically bred the crops to be more resistant. Um, in terms of beans versus corn, uh, fertilizer you need significantly less. So if you're planting corn, you're going to need more fertilizer if you're planting beans, not as much, which is why you saw, I believe, in the past couple weeks, the estimates of corn plantings going down and bean plantings going up, you know, 4%-ish. No, doesn't the, uh, uh, man, you should know this stuff, you're from Iowa, for God's sake. Uh, the, the beans actually add stuff to the soil, correct? So you can pr- pretty much plant beans without fertilizer? Yeah, yeah, and Cover crops also make a difference for uh, weed control, as I understand it. I'm not a farmer. I'm just, you know, click the buttons. But if you have uh, better better stuff going on when there isn't, isn't cr- or aren't crops in the ground, that also helps with weed control. All right. So, but the fertilizer, a lot of that, all that stuff, a lot of that stuff comes from Russia, not all. And, uh, uh, yeah. So that's a big problem that they are threatening to uh, pull on the entire world because uh, what is it potassium comes from Russia so natural gas and nitrogen we've got here and it comes to I think Mexico and Canada but in Russia they could pull the potassium fertilizer and you know that would be like uh, pulling the rug out from under a lot of the world okay um, well next uh, Give us a lesson on the natural gas future, which just blew through. Let me see if it's still seven dollars today, but it was seven dollars on Thursday, which is really, really up there. Uh, yeah, I think it's still going up. It might seven seven forty seven. Wow, another four seventeen. Now, this in the last, Maddie, we talked was it a year ago last summer, and went to six. We couldn't figure it out. Then it went below four. Did it get down to three twenty or something? And then it started moving up. Well, it got down. It down got, got down below two, I believe. But that's unusually low for us, at least within the past five years. Okay, so probably uh, average is around two and a half, three. Now this thing, where is it? Where is there a delivery point for natural gas? For God's sake, uh, in the U.S., I believe it's Henry Hub, so Louisiana. All right, so um, who who does this contract? Does Commonwealth Edison do it, and do people who have? Yes, in the ground. So we do it differently here than they do in Europe. I think it's Dutch. Uh, it, we can do it on ice if I want. If you wanted to trade it, the Intercontinental Exchange has a contract. I think that that mirrors the Dutch contract. It used to be New York Merck, and then right? Here we've got Nymex. Nymex, does, okay. Uh, yeah. And then, which is now, of course, owned by the Merck CME. Yeah. So there's only one. They own everything, right? Yeah. So. Used to be in New York. I mean, the, the trading was there. I remember we had a we had an out trade there once. Some oops, yeah, and it was uh, I think it was twenty grand in twenty minutes for uh, for a one lot. Some 
one of our. Well, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good per minute return for somebody. Yeah, yeah, not us. Um, you know, we had a client who called. No, no, I meant I meant sell it. And I'm like, oh god, you know, those kind of things. But it's it's a big contract. It's it's basically the jousting between the the users and the and the uh, the producers, right? Yeah. So whereas we're paying double, I believe in Europe they're paying triple and quadruple. It has come off uh, a bunch. Meaning, if they're if they're used to say twenty five euros, they're now paying about a hundred. Well, so all right, so now, there's, but there's still there's all kinds of people that are that are in this. I use the term market. Now, uh, Dan Janitas talks about uh, God, man, what's the name of the firm he loves in the? It, it's Southwest Energy, but it's actually in the Northeast. Isn't that the place he's always talking about? And I think they're natural gas producers somewhere in Pennsylvania or some damn place. And uh, uh, he's always talking about those guys having good bonds. Now, now th- those guys, when I say those guys, people like them, they may or may not be taking advantage of this because they might just say, we're pulling out X per day. They might ship it right to, you know, con- you know, Consolidated Edison in New York on a three-year program or something. Maybe we're an adjustment a slight adjustment for a market price or something, right? They might say for the next three years we'll sell you the stuff at whatever it is, four bucks or three and a half or, or four fifty, right? With with some slight adjustment, they might not be getting benefit of the seven at all, right? Uh, depending on how it's hedging for them, correct? No, I mean they might just They're say happy with it, yeah. They might just say they have one pipeline into one place and say we'll give you a long term contract. Sort of no hedging on either side; they just have it. It's, and sometimes I've heard that they'll send from or divert shipments from Asia now to Europe because it's just the price is, is worth it. So, well, what is the we're exporting about thirteen percent more? I want to say of natural gas to Europe now. But these are strictly on these about at capacity. These are on these, these wacky LNG ships, right? Yeah, they liquefy it. Yeah, and uh, boy, oh boy, that's that's a. Uh, I remember reading once where somebody was so un- somebody didn't want any of those things like New York Harbor because there's what's what's the amount of gas to liquid is like it's hundreds to one right? I I'm not familiar. I don't trade natural gas, but I have learned a whole bunch in the past couple of months. And here versus Europe is <laughs> we're reliant on say Texas and Louisiana, and they're reliant almost fifty percent on Russia. Yeah, it's. It's and two or three pipelines now, and that's that's it. I mean, they they're getting squeezed, and if he wants to, but that would be turning off the cash machine for right. the uh, Russians, because those prices are so high. You, the Russians just love selling it there. So, well, and a lot of the, the pipelines go across the Ukraine, which is even more yeah. bizarre. They've been careful not to hit those, as they bomb the whole so, place. I think there's three. There's two Nord Stream and one Turk Stream that. Um, that are bypass, right? The one goes to Germany, and the other goes to uh, southern Southern Europe. Yeah, the one was under construction; it just got stopped construction, right? Or yeah, that's it? Nord Stream Two, which the Germans pulled out of, or they they froze. Right. But Germany gets like forty or fifty percent of their their natural gas from Russia, so. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation for the Europeans, and 
And plus, they turned off their you can have they turned off their nukes. They got rid of the coal plants, which you know, coal plants probably a good idea. But I mean, you can make coal plants somewhat cleaner, but you're never going to make them clean, clean. I don't think. Yeah, and even worse, they they reversed all the nuclear, so they had a decent nuclear infrastructure, and they turned it all off. Yeah, I wonder if you can turn. I you know, I don't. I wish I was an engineer, but it, I. Uh, you know, I think Trump said that uh, what like three years ago. And or four years ago, and they all laughed at him. Yeah. There was a video on the internet a couple of days ago or a week ago that was like showed the German ambassadors or something, you know, making faces at Trump when he was saying, "Be careful when you are entirely dependent on Russia." Well, it's a certain amount of common sense, and uh, you know, everybody. <laughs> Want to hear my unpopular opinion? Yes. There's no such thing as common sense. Everybody has their own common sense. Well, that, that they're in. Therein lies the. Let's put this way: there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, you know, experience sense. The, the whole different world of common sense. When I was a uh, younger, and all, all the all the a lot of the guys had been overseas in the in the in the war. It was, it was a whole different group of people. They had experienced so much that they had kind of a same sense of uh, of purpose across the board to each other, even though they might have been totally different people. It came down to certain things about how people were supposed to behave and those kinds of things. There was a there was a common line there of some kind. You know, this is how, this yeah, they seem much more credible. Well, this is how you know. This is how when you're when you're all squeezed into a the hold of a ship. This is the way we all have to behave so we all get there. <laughs> so you know, if we don't if we don't do it this way, we're not going to make it. Type of thing. So that, I guess that was common sense survival. I use more of a term of a survival sense. Uh, Yikes! And you know, because their idea of a hero. Was somebody who didn't come back, so they didn't write books and they didn't talk about it. it was a different, different view of things. Just, just saying. It would, uh, and you never even knew. I didn't know some of the guys. Greg, I didn't even know that some of my buddies' dads were were. Uh, you, you go to the wake, and all of a sudden you see all these medals and pictures. I mean, one of the guys next. So to they me, were that quiet about it. Oh God, yeah. You know, and you knew they served, and that was about it. And uh, hell, my, the guys <laughs> shared a spot with me in the OEX forever. He'd do the morning couple hours, and we made some dough. He'd left, go play basketball, and go to the bar, and never came back. But or he might come back. But and I would have this. Both of us could fit there uncomfortably, but it was nice. We kind of shared, and uh, it was right in between the broker and the rail. So it was the world's best spot, right? Because you could lean on the rail. And you had a broker right next to you, so and a broker across the aisle. So there was no better spot, really. Uh, I went to his dad's wake and. Uh, I was a destroyer commander in South Pacific. All these, all these medals and stuff. I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, there's all, all kinds of stuff, sort of like that. What, what, what do you think the, uh, the, the grain? I mean, this is if this continues to get worse, and Ukraine doesn't even have like a crop, which I don't see how they have much of a crop. Last I read, they like thought twenty five or yeah, less percent. Yeah, I mean, what? Uh, that's going to really going to put a strain on. And the European crop, I think it's right? going to come down to politics more so than supply and demand, and that you might see countries just completely, uh, like China has done, kind of hoarding. So they're out hedging with us. They've done two major corn buys in the past month and a half, and they're not selling any of it. So they've got their food stocks way up high, and they're going to keep buying and the countries that don't have the money to really pay up problems. Okay, so what happens if... Uh Work me through the, the the mechanism. China comes over. Now, do they buy spot or do they buy futures? 
Um, they're, I think, buying futures and taking delivery. Here? Yeah, then they, they export from here. Really? Because I'm, the spot, I'm not entirely sure. Again, I just tra- I just clicked the buttons. But they've done uh, two major corn purchases in the past you know, month and a half or so, and <laughs> they need it. Yeah. Well, we had a couple people that used to, before COVID, you lose track of these people. We had a couple people that were... Uh, uh, so we say loosely affiliated with PTI and, and they work for the agriculture department and actually did, did consulting for the agriculture department actually would do some cash deals for, for China. And, uh, when you say spot, spot versus the future, somebody comes over today and wants to buy 100,000 bushels of corn. He's got to find somebody that has it. He has to have somebody to find the right grade, grade, right, Greg, and that he wants. And then he has to, the guy has to have enough of it. Then you have to pay the dude, and then you got to get it where you want it to go, right? So it's it's, it's a yeah. it's a big so process. It's usually about what fourteen or twenty cents difference. Well, but the but China, if you uh, if you buy beans, these guys sold China mostly beans. Uh, they, but if you sold China, they, they brokered the transaction. Um, you're not you're not going to New Orleans. You're, you're doing a container to Seattle, and you're shipping it mostly. Yeah, that's why when the when the uh, Trump tariffs came in, and it, all of a sudden the soybean shipments dropped way down. It really didn't hurt the, the Illinois or Iowa farmers as much, because a lot of one of the things that uh, Greg and I probably should have mentioned is a lot of the uh, the increases in uh, uh, the kinds of seeds. We we can shorten the growing season even by a little bit. That means that what? Like every year, Greg. I suppose global warming is in this somewhere, but I don't know where the hell you put it. Every year, what the, the line of where you can grow, grow soybeans goes like what ten miles further north or something, or five miles. So you actually grow a lot of soybeans. Yeah, I mean weather's weather's uh, very very tough to predict. So, but it's still the growing season. There's corn now that has a little shorter growing season than soybeans. Soybeans more than corn, right? So yeah. you can actually grow a bunch. And long story short, too late. Uh, a lot of the soybean farmers in Minnesota and up in Wisconsin. Uh, they just export all their stuff. They, they don't even try and get it down in New Orleans, right? They ju- they just ship it on trains and it goes right to Seattle and gone. So when we stopped oh, yeah. when we stopped exporting to China, I'm not saying Trump right or wrong. I'm just the facts were there wasn't as much export. Those guys got eviscerated. They, they a lot of them lost their farms and everything, right? Where in Illinois, uh, it didn't really yeah, happen. Yeah, in much. the beginning, I think eventually what ended up happening was they organized uh, routes that bypassed kind of the initial U.S. buy. So if you're China, what you would do is go to Brazil or Argentina and work out some agreements there and then have it delivered from there. And then whoever they were selling it to, we'd we'd then sell it to. Right? It's like silly putty. Yeah, it's just, say, like, you're not allowed to trade securities anymore or somebody gets banned, so you go to Barbados or Cayman or whatever and start trading from there. Uh, It's yeah, you have a Greg Inc. didn't change that yeah, much. Yeah, Greg Greg Inc. from Barbados is now trading. Yeah, Cayman. Cayman or Puerto Rico. How, how does Puerto Rico work into that? It's a U.S. place. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying to avoid taxes. Maybe yeah, I don't know how you, Puerto Rico. I'm not so sure how you how, how you evade taxes in a in a U.S. own place, but somehow you do in Puerto Rico. They don't have any represent, or they have minimal representation. So. 
they don't pay some of those taxes. Well, they got a guy in Congress, but he can't vote, right? Like, right. Like D.C.? Something like that? Anyway, so what do you, I mean, right now, is there a lot of, when we, when we first started PTI in the early 90s, there was a lot of retail trade of, of corn and beans, especially in Chicago. Right? We, we had years where our futures business was 45% of our business, and that was when we were doing great guns in the OEX, which is no longer even I'd around. imagine that volume in general has you know exponentially increased since then in everything, just because it's easier now to do. Well, I mean, for us, we don't have near as many retail people trading beans and corn back and forth. Are they just all doing electronically or what? We don't have that because we have electronic traders through the RIB system, RIB system, our, our IB connection, and uh, we don't own the system. But I, we don't, very rarely does a, does a phone ring and somebody say, gee, I really want to trade this, this corn and soybeans. I mean, 30 years ago, that's people loved doing that. I mean, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of maybe, volume. Maybe just now the tastes have changed. Stocks are pretty popular now, right? Uh, well, yeah, some of the stock, everybody likes these, these meme stocks and, and people like to trade that stuff. I mean, but no, it's, it, the, the real, the hot stocks are hot. I mean, when you got a stock that's going up 20 bucks in a day, why do you want to mess around with soybeans, I guess? I think what corn, it's not, it's very small compared to any specific, you know, fortune. 500 company. <laughs> yeah. In terms of notional. Well, I know it's kind of a Midwest thing. I mean, a lot of our, I mean, we had a bunch of farmers and we had guys from, from farming town. I mean, a lot, a lot of Illinois and Iowa and Indiana people, you know, they grew up around it. That was, that was what they traded. They were much more familiar with that than they were, you know, some stock. But now it's all, you know, you listen to CNBC all day, you never even, never hear the word. They'll tell you about inflation or whatever. What, uh, my, at Easter, my brother's yesterday and he's still convinced, uh, and he was a corn trader for a long time. He's still convinced that these prices, the way they are, that we're going to have you know some unrest someplace like real soon. Um, I I think he's right. I mean, there's no reason for there's no reason for I don't even. It's, if you can't eat, you're going to have problems. It's just it's not a question of if it's when. Well, you mentioned China earlier. What do you what do you think now? Their situation now they're they're free even even I think China's ahead of the curve. Now, so what is with, with all the I'm gonna say with all the BS with all the BS with tariffs and we don't like them and they're you know South China Sea and are they helping the Russians? As far as you know, are, are they still able to come on in and buy you know two million bushels worth of soybeans, load them in yeah, containers? Yeah, they did it last week. So they just load them in the containers and off they go. Yeah. So China is not. I mean. Their business with us is maybe ten or twenty times more than their business with Russia. They're in a spot where, if if they get hit with sanctions, like Russia gets hit with sanctions, got hit with sanctions, they could they could have even worse of a problem uh, now. And are they? That's uh, my opinion, I guess. No, when they, when they, so you think they did both a spot corn buy, and they bought enough futures to where they're going to have corn for the next six months or eight months or whatever. I think they've been ahead in storing for they've they've in general been ahead of the curve in this food because they're literally uh, not able to feed everybody by themselves. So they've they've had uh, no and they got vaccine problems now. So all you really have left is keep the people healthy. Now do they uh, they they buy just the whole beans or do they because you do the crush? Explain to everybody again what the crush is. 
the crush is the price difference between the soybeans and their products. So it's the premium and the price that the processors charge to process the soybeans. Which gives you meal and oil. Yeah, and they have a very large exchange, the Dalian Exchange, that does that in China too. Right, so, but they come over here, they usually just get the whole beans. They don't, they don't say, no, we want just meal or anything. That would really mess things up, wouldn't it? Uh, depending on what they need, yeah. All right, well, what is your... What so is, they do that with corn and beans and, yeah. What is your prediction for the week and all this stuff? I mean, we're down... For the week? Yeah, what do you think? It looked like a lot more bombing, a lot more... would come down a little bit. I think so. I, my my view, just watching the news, is that the crisis in Ukraine uh, kind of steepened over the weekend, but doesn't seem like the market feels like it's that bad. But last night, we, were, we opened down 30, now we're only down 8, so maybe maybe that's not the general view. I'm, I've am i got no special insight. I just kind of watch, too, so... Oh, there you go. Did, uh... Um... Yeah, so... Like, we've I got, uh... I think you're right, though. This is effect- it's effectively going to affect effectively. This is going to cause more problems down the road here if we stay up high on these prices. Because I don't see any way that more any- ill will politically between these people who can't figure out, you know, how they want to allocate these limited resources in Europe, and they're just going to trip over each other, paying for it, and blow up everything that's in the way. It's- what do you think it does here politically? Seems like they could, yeah. Really, it does here politically. I mean, people are blaming well, that, people. Are, what do you think it does here politically? I mean, people are blaming uh, Biden, which is you know to me it's a twenty year phenomenon. But it's they blame Jimmy Carter. Well, too. we've spent a whole bunch of money for however many years, so of course we're going to get some inflation. Um, we're blaming each other for cultural stuff, and and I don't know. Our our debate seems a little different than their debate. Well, they're just playing flat-ass short to stuff, right? We're not. Yeah, correct. It's a, an odd world. So, um, you figure you have a busy week? Yeah, probably. Now, do, you, do you go to the exchange floor at all, or are you just at home? I'm in the Board of Trade right now. Okay. So, so, so we're, maybe we're, go down later. I don't know. The options trade a bunch still. But the uh, futures are strictly online for the greens. So do you have a badge where you can go in and trade options too? Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right, man. Well, well good luck. We'll see a picture of you on the site one of these days with your badge on and your, and your outfit. I'll send you one in 10 minutes. Oh, God. Minutes. All right. S&P futures <laughs> down 750. We've rallied up. S&P futures down 37. We're back with Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. 
don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Thomas Brett on the board. SP futures up eight, sorry, down eight and a quarter. NASDAQ futures down thirty-eight. Uh, we were down a whole bunch more last night. We're down. I saw it down thirty. So um, we've got. So we bounced back quite a bit here this morning. The uh, Dow futures. Are, uh, down only 16 individual stocks to the Dow. We got Boeing up 80 cents. We got Bank America came out and had pretty good earnings. They're up, they're up 50 cents. They're not in the Dow, but uh, they're up 50 cents. We had Home Depot down buck 75. Microsoft down 63 cents. Some stocks are are way down from their highs. I mean, Microsoft is one of them. I got I had like 460 billion dollars in money come off the market cap from the highs and that thing. So some of these big stocks are taking really quite the hit. Nvidia and some of them. Uh, in Asia, we've got. Nikkei down 293, that's 1%. They were down a lot more than that and came back. I think they were down 2% at one point. I was standing last night and they came back, being only down 1.1%. Shanghai down uh, uh, 16, that's 0.5%. Got Hang Seng actually up a little bit, 143.7. Uh, so they kind of righted the ship uh, there uh, last night. It was down heavier than that. Renier, we got the DAX up 87.6%. FTSE up 35.5%. Kek around up 47.7%. So these are. Uh, ECB has confirmed the end of bond buying. Wow. Well, maybe their inventory's got to be huge, but still they claim they've stopped bond buying it. 
I thought that was going to happen. Uh, bonds, 10-year up three basis points to 2.84. It's the highest level in more than three years. The bond unchanged at 0.84. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.24. As a way of review, on Thursday, we were off on Friday, if we recall. Uh, Dow was down 113, 0.3%. S&P down 54, 1.2. NASDAQ down 292, 2.1. So it was a pretty bad day last Thursday, everything other than the Dow. Um, oil today is... Uh, down 26 cents, but still right about where it was last Thursday, 106.69. Brent down 6 cents, 111.64. Natural gas up another 18 cents, 7.49. I've never seen it this high. Our Bob down two, our Bob down two cents to 335. We've got gold up 1980. Wow, 1994. It's a real shot at uh, 2000 right here. Silver up 45 cents. It's almost 2%. 2615. Copper up 3 cents, 475. And last but not least, we got Bitcoin down 1100 bucks. To 39,060. A lot of stuff there, Matty. What do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're off to a decent start here on the area expressways, roadways, and tollways, but we do have some cloudy and rainy mixed with even some, uh, I don't know what you would call it, maybe some sleet out there it's in certain be parts snow of the area. Yeah, could have a wintry mix this morning, not expecting any accumulation, but um, not good weather here for April 18th. So we'd like to be a little bit warmer, but not the case. But so far, not affecting the expressways. No accidents to report, no significant delays of any kind, just normal traffic buildup coming inbound here on a Monday morning. Weather today, as I mentioned, uh, a wintry mix this morning with some rain and some sleet, possibly even some snow flurries. A high of just 42 today. Just another miserable day in April as we've uh, had for pretty much uh, three weeks straight or maybe longer. Uh, it felt like we had an easy winter, but this spring has been pretty, uh, pretty dreadful. Right now it's overcast and 36. Feels like it's in the 20s and we have rain and sleet out there. Phoenix today, it's a hot one. Partly cloudy with a high of 98. Right now it's clear and 64. In sports, the Bulls played game one of their uh, playoff series last night as a six seed versus the three-seeded Milwaukee Bucks. They were down 16 early, rallied back, took a five-point lead uh, late in the second half and ended up losing by seven. 93-86 to was the final in that one. The over-under was 230. And obviously they finished way below that as it would turn into a physical rock fight in the second half. Neither team could make a shot. It was back and forth. It was close. It was physical. It was ugly. Uh, but the Bucks had just enough to beat the Bulls and take a one-game-to-nothing series lead, winning 93-86. to Suns had no problem with the Pelicans in their Game 1 playoff series, uh, winning 110-99. to Suns lead 1-0. Major League Baseball, the Cubs split their series with the Rockies, winning 6-4. White Sox uh, were blown out by the Mariners, 9-3. Diamondbacks were shut out by the Mets, 5-0. So we'll take a quick look at the MLB standings two weeks into the season. White Sox are in first place at 6-3. They already have a two-game lead on both the Tigers and the Cleveland Guardians. The Cubs are in second place, a half game out of first behind the Cardinals. Cubs are 5-4, nine games into the season. Diamondbacks looks like it's going to be another long year. They're already uh, three and six and four games behind the first place Dodgers and Giants, who are tied atop uh, the West at seven and two. Lastly, Blackhawks were off last night. They're back in action tonight, hosting Calgary. That's a seven p.m. puck drop. Chief, when does that mercifully end? 
They, I think they have another week. They Blackhawks have like at least three more games or something like that. One of our uh, buddies at the Triple E was telling me that uh, if if it plays all the way out, they could have a playoff game in July. Wow, it's crazy because they started what a week later than than basketball. This yeah, year? they started late. And with a full season, I mean the Hawks, those guys can't wait to be home. They're aw- they're awful. They, their one chance was when they had Flurry on the team, and now they don't have him. Yeah, they're they're not good. Oh. John, how are you? I'm Tom. I'm well, Tom. How about you? I'm hanging in there. What? Uh, man, is there a game today? Baseball? Yeah. Yeah, the Cubs are supposedly going to host the Tampa Bay Rays tonight at Wrigley. <laughs> we'll see. It'll probably be about 35 and, and rainy, so I, I assume it's going to get canceled. But we'll see. Well, the, they're not coming back. I mean, the, the Sox played an awful game. Was it Wednesday night against Seattle? Because they're not coming back. Yeah, they're here all week though, so they could easily do a doubleheader. But it's going to be true. miserable all week. So yeah, it's going to be a long ago. But though, that was there could have been two hundred people at that game. Yeah, I wouldn't the, go. Oh, the Sox game. Uh, did you watch any of it? Where I did there, not. There was nobody there. I mean, they start. They. St- I think the whole game was played in the mist, kind of a rain. I like, won't go to a game unless if it's under seventy degrees anymore. I have no. You're, interest. you're getting old. I just no. have no interest in sitting in the cold for four hours. There's no uh, football game. You know, maybe, but baseball game, no chance. Now, when you were young, if you had a free ticket, you and Thomas would be there. Oh yeah, when I was young, I would I would pretty much do anything because I loved going to games. Now, been to enough of them in my life. There's no way I'm sitting. No, Skybox, I, you might go. Skybox, of course I would go. All you can eat and all you can drink in yeah. in in, uh, in Warm? a controlled climate. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Somebody spoiled you. Is it Stacks and Jackson? You know, all these places <laughs> were the ones that are spoiled. <laughs> Didn't you get a taste of that good life, Tom? <laughs> well, you know, who, whose idea was it? Just out of, out of, but I understand we're trying to accomplish a lot of things. Whose idea was it to put the scout seats right behind home plate? They do it both here and they do it at Yankee Stadium. If the weather is the least bit imperfect, for those of you who don't know, if you get the scout seats at, at Sox Park, refuse to say guaranteed rate field, they're right behind home plate. They're padded seats. They're spectacular. Well, underneath the stands. There's a huge buffet, an open bar, and uh, and you know massive TVs in the in the place. So you go down there and you have you know this, this, this massive buffet and anything you want, you're carving beef and turkey and stuff. And uh, so if it's cold, you 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 want no part of your seats. And the minute the game gets kind of lousy in the seventh inning, if you're winning or losing by a bunch, they have this massive divert divert bar, all these after dinner drinks. <laughs> so the, the upshot of it is. If you watch the Yankees or the Sox, if the weather isn't perfect, there's nobody there. So your view on TV is there's nobody in the stands, which probably isn't exactly the look that they wanted, right, Matty? When they I don't think that's what they had in mind. But why Why would you sit out? I mean, the weird part is if you do want to go sit out there and you want, like, a nice corned beef sandwich or something, they'll run it right out to you. It's not a bad deal. They're, they're, they're like, what, $400 a ticket or something? 350 something like that. I mean, they're up there. But um, if you want, if you want to take me to the game, Manny, those would be the tickets. Maybe Jan and I would come with you. Yeah, like I said, as long as it's at least seventy degrees, I'm in. Well, it doesn't and matter, you, and especially at the length of these games. Now, who has the stamina? Who has the, the wardrobe that will work? <laughs> yeah, I was watching one the other night, and I they had a relief pitcher. One of them was watching somebody else. It wasn't the Cubs or the Sox? They bring these guys in. It had to be fifty seconds between pitch. I'm sitting there going, "This is gonna, this seventh inning or eighth inning is going to take forever." But uh, how many guys are doing? Uh, who, who started uh, the Rockies yesterday? The day was the no the Sox. They played against uh, who did they play against um, Mariners. The Mariners started a guy for two innings. 
And then they 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 did the the bullpen starter day or something. Yep. Our, what, every team's got like twelve pitchers. Why don't you have enough starters though? I don't know. I think some teams think that's a good strategy to do that. Well, they only did it the one game. Yeah. I mean, they must have. Look, the Cubs might do it because they got what three alleged starters out already. Yeah. Uh, are those guys? How did that happen? Well, the one guy I heard is that, uh, oblique, right? Uh, Andale or his name is. Yeah, they're injuries. And uh, Mills, all those guys. Well, anywho. So, John, what? Uh, how did you digest the uh, lousy news coming out of uh, Ukraine? I mean, last night when the market opened up, it was down thirty in the spoo. So, I thought it showed a little bit of an ex- escalation. It was actually pretty bad news over the weekend, but now it looks like it's neutral to just a little bad. It looks like. Uh, well, anecdotally, Tom, you know, talking with people at you know Easter get-togethers. Um, people, you know, family and friends or whatever, were, spoke about Ukraine ner- somewhat nervously because they, you know, they're worried at how bad it's likely to get. But by and large, everybody pretty much agreed that they don't believe anything that's coming out about it, no matter from what side, no matter from what news organization. That there's, and I don't remember that kind of unanimity among people. That you know, they, whatever they hear, they don't trust. Um, it, from prior events, you know, pe- people tended to latch out of news that they thought was good and, and you know confirmed their feelings about something. And you know, people tended to do battle because they were invested in one side or the other. Now, this is kind of new for me. I mean, maybe I I was skeptical about this stuff when other people were were less so, but but I, I feel now like everybody's as skeptical as I am. And when you when you have events like this, clearly there's something going on, and it, it bodes poorly for the world economy, for food prices, for you, you name it. Let alone the geopolitical political dimension. But when you have people here who distrust everything they're being fed, I don't know where that leads us. I mean, it, I think it makes it less likely that there will be support for any kind of putting troops on the ground, but, you know, whether that will actually prevent that from happening or slow it down, I can't say, but I do think there's been a failure here, uh, and I suspect it's not just in the United States, that the people have grown so burned out on, on the way stuff has been twisted, and the stuff that comes out later that shows how gullible people were in believing one side or the other, that I think they have to be very careful how they push this thing, because it's it's unlikely to get the kind of response that anybody might be looking for. Well, I mean, there's, there's people that uh, are, have, we've just come out of, uh, you know, two years of reasonable, I'd say, reasonable to w- more than reasonable hardship. We've got, for, and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, the ad part last week, get a load of this, Matty, last week, uh, you weren't here, because uh, you, uh, Friday was your day, but there was no Friday. Uh, every one of our guys, Dan Janitas, Carl, Kevin, I, 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 my calculations show that if you actually use the right numbers for inflation, which we're not using, that actually we might have had a peak this month or next month in terms of the monthly rate times 12. Our guys, when's the last time all the people on the show, Matty, are totally again me, they say we're nowhere near a peak? What have you seen me on that side of this equation? Wow. Dan and, uh, Carl yeah, and they were fairly. Oh, yeah, there. No way are we at the peak. I was, yeah. I, was, I was interested to hear that. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm, what, have I, what have I ever been on that side of, of, of this of this fight for twenty years? For God's sake. now, you idiot! <laughs> it's, 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 even, it's even worse than than you think. Uh, anyway, um, but if that's the case, I mean, and we're spinning out of control up to a just just to know where the we know where the numbers are, Matty. Last month, the unadjusted uh, monthly number was one point three percent. Of course, these guys now are trying to condition us into this year over year type of thing where it's only 8.5 but if you take the 1.3 and multiply it by 12 which we can do easily that's 15.6 which is way higher way higher than any time I ever saw it back in the 70s now I actually think that that might be the monthly peak but that doesn't mean if the next month's 1.2 and the next one's 1.1 and 1.1 that we still don't have like a long way to go of of compounding on top of each other right but still I think somewhere in here I mean, even Dan's convinced, and you know, Dan's way more conservative than me. And Dan's convinced that we're going to have a 1.5 or 1.6 month. And I go, Dan, you have an idea what you just said? You're talking like a like a 20 percent peak. <laughs> we've I don't have we ever seen that, John, in our lifetime. I I don't no, know. No, I, I think it's you know maybe time to start imagining what it would be like because um, I get the sense that. There, there really ha- we don't see you know, the bend of the tunnel yet. We don't, we don't see light at the end. And this is um, what concerns me, especially given all the, the balls that are up in the air right now too, with the possibility of, of food prices exploding, or you know China pulling off something in Taiwan or yeah. whatever. There's, a, there's enough flashpoints everywhere around, let alone in this country with you know the, the border problem um, and, and you know food prices here. Just forget what's happening in Ukraine. Um, but th- th- we don't know exactly wh- where we are in this, but it, but there's a lot more stuff that can can come down the pike for us that we haven't taken into account. Well, we we have we have, uh, and I'm not. This is not this is not policy, John. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I've never seen what's going on at the border down there. I mean, talk about hearing both sides of every story, but uh, I I hope the people in this country that are listening to the show that were out boozing with you this weekend or boozing inside, I hope. You realize that we're we're fighting over, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying we're wrong on the, on the twenty five thousand people coming across. Does anybody have an idea that there's five billion people pouring out of Ukraine and these poor people in Poland have absorbed what like three million of them or two million of them? I mean, and, and we're we're worried about it. You know, a, a few people from from Mexico relatively into a country that's got nothing but room. Basically, and do we have any idea what what's, what what collectively what these other people are going through in these other places? Well, what did Emmanuel Macron say the other day that Europe has to get ready to absorb sixty million yeah. refugees from Africa if, if, if Russian sanctions you know have the desired effect? It's going to you know make everybody flee Africa. I mean, I have to get, dig a little further to see his chain of logic here. Yeah, I don't know about that number, but. Well, but yeah, but you know the, the way it's bandied about, and, and certainly you know any time there has been any kind of um, U.S. involvement in any incursion around the world, whether it's Vietnam or whatever flashpoint, it has resulted in a displacement of population to this country of that group, that nationality, that has significantly. I'm not maybe it's not been a bad thing at all either, but it's definitely changed the profile of what the country's demographics are. And any time you, you get involved in a, a military event like this and you, you do the cleanup work that you're supposed to do afterwards, and for whatever reason you hang around for a while, it, it, it always involves a move 
we hadn't really accounted for, in most cases had never planned for either, but it changes definitely who the country is. And um, Europe has more facing it than we do with Ukraine, but, but the U.S. has you know, a long history of this now, and I think we've done a pretty poor job of assessing what, what the real effect is for everybody involved. You mean looking and, forward? We're not very good at looking forward. No, no. Planning? Why, why should we plan? The next election's three weeks from now. What are we, we planning? Who needs planning? <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> what are they like that? Uh, what, do, what do you think would happen if we changed the uh, the House to three-year terms? Do you think we'd be more planning? Just lob that one up. I doubt it. Um, it might change. If, I don't know if it, it would even make much difference in the way, that, you know, the, the spending pattern for the election cycle. If anything, it might just drive up the numbers because, um, you know, there's a scarcer number of elections and you got to spend more to get the result you want. It, it probably would be a bad thing. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I just lobbed it out there a minute. I would like to see not term limits, but mandatory retirement at a certain age time for all, all these clowns we have. We're now debating whether Diane Feinstein has a memory anymore. And, you know, really, before you have that debate, Diane Feinstein should have the grace and the, and the brains to leave or, or, or announce her retirement or something. None of these people show any signs of letting go. And we've got, you know, a, a class of rulers now in this country, age 80 and above, that, you know, I have little confidence in, in good times, let alone in bad times. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a mandatory retirement, 60, 70, but, but not just, you know, until they carry out fee first. What did um, you, uh, what did you make of, uh, uh, Mayor Pico's comments last week? On well, show? he was real, a real breath of fresh air. Um, and, you know, I, it, it, it confirmed that, it, like he said, there are talented people around. Um, and that he's encouraged by this. So, I, I mean, I, it's kind of a, a nice dose of optimism that I need these days um, because just looking around, I don't seem to have much much reason to be op- optimistic. Um, but he does seem to be uncontaminated by you know, the, the stuff that you and I have talked about. And the cynicism hasn't gotten to him, nor does it seem likely. Yeah, I was pretty so. surprised at the optimism. He, uh, for those of uh, don't remember last week, we had... Uh, the mayor of Orland Park was on, and uh, by the way, he's dying to come back. Even though I don't know if it was my best interview, he, he really loved it. Uh, well, I really enjoyed just hearing him, you know, talk because um, you know the, the news coverage he's got has been sporadic and limited, and it's you know always about the, the vaccine mandates and stuff. And he doesn't really get a chance to say very much, but then when the news media is talking to him, so that that was a welcome change from that on your show. Um, hey, oh by the way, Matty, well, I shouldn't be doing this on the air, but uh, if you could cut that and send it to him, I bet he'd be real happy. Uh, I can do that. I was going to ask, uh, I, don't, I don't know that uh, Eliani or young Matt are, are as schooled at that as you are. For those that don't know, Mr. Weber is really pretty darn good at this. <laughs> it's, he's the reason really why the show's been as good as it is. It's not me. I mean, Matt, he's been a heart and soul really for a long time and uh, even with the little baby, he's still hanging in there and helping us out. So, my congrats to him. Anyway, the interesting part was I, I was telling Matty on the way in, uh, I was, I, I, John, I didn't know what to make of it. I mean, I, I was having trouble. I usually don't have any problem interviewing anybody. I just, I just look at what the listeners want to, what I think the listeners want to hear, and I just go ahead and ask it. I mean, <laughs> they came on, it's, they don't want to answer it, they don't have to, but while they're here, what the hell? I'm, why wouldn't I take the opportunity to, to 
if there's ten questions I know the listeners want to hear, why wouldn't I ask it? That's that's why they're here, right? In my mind. Um, but I was surprised when I, I I really didn't know how to ask him the questions. I mean, in the last year, you've you've heard me say uh, that I was real impressed with these meet the press, or whatever it was. It's three young Democrats on one week and three young Republicans on the next week. And I I thought they were real bright. I don't know if they could necessarily carry the room. They were 30 years old. But I thought there was no question that there was a lot of talent there. God, the one the one black lady who had been in three tours in, in uh, uh, wherever the hell she was, Kuwait or someplace, and or Afghanistan, and then went to law school, and a couple of guys were sort of the same way. I mean, Republican guys I didn't see, I heard them. They were just as good, and I'm thinking, what, do they just get buried in Congress somewhere and nobody even talks to them? Well, that, that was, um, the mayor is, I, I, I think he's, why because he thinks he's 50-ish, I don't, I don't know, uh, has a family. And I and I was, I said, you know, really, you, you're a mayor of a pretty good-sized burb, and uh, is this really a step up? And I'm like, I almost said it, mayor, you can't, I said to him, you're not 25 anymore, you can't wait for, uh, you know, four terms to get yourself a committee spot. And he goes, I have no intention of it. He goes, we've got, because I've talked to a bunch of people on the Republican side that are running the first time, and I've talked to a bunch of people on the Democratic side, because there could be as many as 30, 40, maybe more new people. And he goes, I got news for you. I can work with the Democrats I've talked to and the Republicans, and I don't intend to sit there for four years and neither does anybody else. We expect to be a force year one. If it's a if it's a 40-person group on both sides, he goes, I'm going to get myself on a committee of, you know, I'm a vet. I'd want to be on the Veterans Committee. I want to be on the uh, one of these committees. He goes, I'm not I'm not going to sit there and do nothing for two years. Because I mean, and uh, he goes, neither do the rest of these people. And I, I, I thought that was one of the most encouraging things in the whole show. Thank God somebody's got the energy, Tom. You know, what? Well, he's not I mean, a guy. People, people are there just seem to have given up. Well, but he, <laughs> but he's not. Bother them, yeah. but they don't really take an active role. Well, I mean, he doesn't seem like the guy you, you're, you're going to push down and say, shut up for two years. Right, I mean, right. And well, he, we get a lot of those. Yeah, and he's, you know, and I, 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 the, as soon as he said, I've talked to some Democrats on the other side that I think are going to win, that's astounding if that's if he actually did it. It gives the powers to be the, the EBGBs. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, if, if all of a sudden there's like a... Bipartisan support for something? <laughs> that'd be enough to drive you nuts. Hey, uh, we have to go to break here in a couple of minutes, but when we come back. Uh, Bank America came out, and uh, they talked about they uh, they re- they released some loan reserves from sour loans. Now, last week, J.P. Morgan came out and, and put what was it five hundred and seventy or was it seven hundred some some big numbers, hundreds of millions in the till for issues with the Russian loans. Uh, we come back. Kind of work through how this how this could be. Whether what kind of different loans are getting better versus worse? I mean, any kind of real estate stuff has got to be getting. If you're a big, boy. oh yeah, they, I mean, everybody's looking at their reserves now, knowing that whether they're in if they're not in default yet, the borrowers there's a good chance it's going to happen in the next six months. Well, John, maybe you can take us through because John's sort of an expert on this. Sort of, everybody's a sort of an expert, right? Uh, does, do, do any of these banks actually hold the mortgage on 175 or Tribune Towers? Is it all just split up among like insurance companies and all these other people? When you well, it's, you know, some of it's you know a conglomerate with with subsidiaries or it's a broker deal, and there's you know various levels of participation in the loan. 
it's very seldom, I think, for for big building going to be, you know, a bank, Bank of America or Bank of Montreal or something. But it's more likely to be a pension fund or you know some acronym that you never heard of. That's a combination of funding sources with a management you know entity in between that services the loan um, or you know deals with issues with the borrower if they get into distress. So it's it's not something like you know you can compare it to a house loan or even a small business loan. It's it's more remote and the benefit I think is that if you got some kind of you know crossing over of of these things these obligations to prevent you know a single assets failing from bringing the thing down um, but it also complicates you know the, the process of putting these deals together and if things start to go sour in the market it's going to make a lot of these places shy away from making these loans they don't want to get burned by them um, a lot of it is foreign money like you know Brookfield you know the one with 175 West Jackson and the field building um, or the Chinese with the 181 West Madison building that were going to make a splash when they came in here and now are retreating and it, it's not just the US that's in you know in a problem situation now there's other places that they try to you know worm their way in and you know, it's going to take down other central city you know shopping centers building complexes businesses whatever um so it's a much messier thing. You, know, you can't really compare it to the old SNL days where you had an institutional lender who held on to it. Oh, well, we come back for break. Why don't you compare it to uh, when the Japanese, when the stock market over there was thirty five thousand, and they bought Pebble Beach? They didn't they? Our, 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 uh, oh, Rockefeller Center. You know, they bought my the, our buddy Dak. Profile purchases, and yet, you know, and that's all changed now. But at the, at the time, it looked like, well, we got money, we, money, we got to spread it around, and let's do it in a high profile way that boosts. Our ability to get the next deal too. Well, our buddy Doc claimed that Doctor J uh, that they actually lost more money in Chicago just about anywhere else. And it, it was on a QT. But also, we, we not, I'm always curious with these big banks. Everybody looks at the four or five of them as this amorphous blob, which they sort of are. But there obviously must be a big difference between the business that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase does when they're taking this big hut in Russia and Bank of America. I'm, I'm going to guess that Bank of America and Wells Fargo probably. Aren't you as involved in Russia as maybe J.P. Morgan? I would, I would agree. I think, um, or, or their, you know, their connections are tenuous or contingent on other things. They're not, you know, front and center in there. Yeah, but I'm thinking they might be maybe a little more involved in China. But I, but I don't know that. It just I mean, it seems like they, being on the West Coast like that, maybe, maybe they would be. Uh, SP futures down 11 now, Nasdaq futures down 49. Get up for a quick break. Be right back, stocks and jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Al. Man, we're on the board. SP Futures down 1175. NASDAQ Futures down uh, 53. Um, we've been down, but we, this, we, we were uh, down 30, then we were down 8, and now we're, we're slinking to here a little bit again. Um, boy, man, I just got this uh, letter from uh, Hal Snar. We actually got a, uh, a letter from a professor. I mean, the guy must have heard him talking inflation on their show last week. Sent him a big question list about, he's been charting the stock market versus inflation going back to like 1950. And he's absolutely stunned at the, uh, at how the, inf- the stock market tends to move with inflation some of the time, but not all the time, which is pretty interesting. The, uh, specific questions are, uh, anyway, he's got the, t- uh, the total U.S. market capitalization was, 33% of nominal GDP in 2007 and is now 58%. He's talking about how, how is it possible for real S&P to grow at 4.3% while GDP grows at 3.1% since 1950? Um, I guess that means, he says it's mathematically impossible, which means there's inflation in the system that they're not picking up, obviously. So this guy sends this thing to hell that has got to be, you know, nothing but a lot of a lot of numbers. So Hal's response to the guy has got to be it's it's even more complicated. But I'm going to go through this. We might have to have Hal on, but it is it's fascinating because Hal dives into this. He's into this Austrian economic system, which I don't know if I'm all that big on, but I, don't, I also don't know as much about it as he does. So, but he's he essentially is uh, uh, these two guys are jousting back and forth, professors, and it's it's pretty darn fascinating. But so John, we'll have to take that apart one of these days with Hal on the line because. Uh, it's it's really good stuff. Um, anyway, we were, we were talking about how uh, you know the buildings in these these. How does how does anybody know, Jan? Really, the the nuts and bolts of what kind of position a bank is with their balance sheet on this stuff. If they don't quote tell us, 
how, how do you really know whether I mean I know uh, I don't want to take a shot at him but I will Kramer's buddy uh, uh, what the hell's the guy's name Eddie uh, who, the guy who was in charge of Sears and Kmart and ran him into the ground um, oh, uh, uh, well we'll think of it but they're talking about this inflation and I had people that were, were you know investing through PTI and they'd say well you got Eddie Lambert because you know you got to buy this stuff and they because uh, look at the real estate and look at this and I said you know you got you got to be careful on this because I uh, the only guy who maybe could have figured it out was our, our late buddy uh, Bob Golden because he's a serious CPA and knew how to read balance sheets and because he put them together and stuff but I don't think you could have walked up to Eddie Lambert or anybody there and said give me a give me a run of all your real estate that you guys own and 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 all of a sudden do a random sample well. This one's going down. This one's going good. This one we lease the place. This one we own the place. I mean, how does anybody get into that level of detail in any of these places? I mean, how oh, do you really know? And who would want them to be just putting that data out in any kind of a news cycle and, and worry about the blowback? If somebody saw something that, that made them tremble, you know, you, you re- regret that anybody ever you know, let that happen. Their head would roll for it. There, there really is no way to do it, Tom. And what I notice in just you know doing research for things that, that you know come up on the show here, uh, it's really hard to get any information about this unless you have, you know, like Joe Cahill at Crane Chicago Business and maybe sometimes Dave Roeder in the Sun-Times who specialize in, you know, real estate. Um, if they want to dig in and start talking to people, and of course very few people want to talk on the record about any of this stuff, um, but it, it certainly won't be the lenders themselves. It won't be the borrowers because they're worried about their stock too. And you you won't get any kind of a timely you know exposure of stuff that's at all embarrassing to either side, to the lender or to the borrower. And it re- reminds me of something that happened last week in my neighborhood here, where there was a shooting up on Lawrence Avenue. Somebody was killed. And a lot of people saw it happen, heard it happen. The Lawrence bus was rerouted for almost a mile while the investigation took place. Uh, happened in front of the McDonald's just east of Pulaski on the south side of Lawrence. And there was absolutely no news coverage at all. Nothing. I mean, except in social media, nothing in the evening news, nothing in any of the newspapers that I saw, nothing in the neighborhood newspapers. So McDonald's, I'm sure, doesn't want anybody to think that, gee, that McDonald's has a problem with its clientele or there's, there's a gang influence there. Or it's just bad for business, so we won't let any word of that get out. And then you got the alderman who doesn't want that word to be on the street. So, it, you know, they, they tell the, the average person in Chicago, you don't matter here. What, what happens in your neighborhood is no business of yours. But we have a stake in whether people think this neighborhood is safe or on the decline. And it's pretty much the same thing with, with reporting troubled loans. I find, um, you know, until it reaches the press release stage where it's already like an avalanche of bad debt, you're probably not going to know about it. Other than that, people might start to wonder when they go to look at office space. See, this building is only thirty percent rented, and nothing's you know the floor hasn't been swept in six months. Something's going on here, and maybe somebody will will tickle somebody's ear and say you should look into such and such an address because I don't I don't think that thing's going to be around much longer. Other than that, it isn't going to be any kind of you know watchdog group or citizens organization that's going to be let in on this because um, it's, it's too damaging to so many reputations to let it out. Well, when I was in uh, grad school, you know, the idea you know, the, those days people were, you know, 
they looked at the market like it was a religion, Jan. And, uh, you know, that if, uh, you know, if, if Matty Weber is the CEO someplace and, uh, they heard him groaning in the men's room, uh, you know, the stack could be down. There was no such thing as a secret. There was no such thing as anything. It was perfect information. It was a steady stroke. I mean, they'd actually, when you have a test, they would say, assume perfect informa- informa- inf- information show flow, and which of course, and, it's, and it, the more I got to the, as soon as I got to the trading floor, I actually sort of believed that when I was trading, it was retail when I worked at Pullman, but as soon as I got to the trading floor, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, <laughs> sure looks to me like a lot of people, some people know stuff other than other people, and, and, I, and I got to the point where as soon as I became an OEX trader, which is you know, the hottest index at the time, I I really have have a problem. I mean, I always did. Well, first of all, you you can't do it in the air anyway because I'm registered. But the last thing I ever want, he's like it's like pulling a tooth for me, is if if some customer comes in and he gives me a list of fifteen stocks and what do you think about this one? What do you think about that one? I'm going. You know what? What do I think? I mean, I I know as much as you do. <laughs> you know, do I know if IBM's cooking the books? I don't think so, but I really don't know. And and, and you, you don't ever want to be telling somebody something's good. What what if? God, what if somebody would have come into PTI 12 years ago with a list of uh, 15 years ago? What do you think about Bear Stearns? What do you think about Sears? What do you think about General Motors? And What do you think about United Airlines? <laughs> I'd be like, every one of these is, yeah, that looks fine to me. <laughs> you imagine You imagine if they had those eight stocks that all went bankrupt or the 07 fiasco, I mean, or, or a 2000 fiasco? I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be that guy. So... The idea that, that you listen to a couple of guys on TV, they're absolutely convinced they know everything, you know, and their opinion on some company, oh, you just gotta buy this no matter what, don't worry about it, everything's going good. God, John, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy any of that stuff that I have enough information. That's why I stick to indexes. So, you know, if, if nobody, if somebody has a concentration issue, I'll, you know, I'll protect that for them for sure. We do a lot of that. Uh, cause people in certain places, especially, uh, UPS is one. A boatload of people have a, a lot of UPS if they, if they, cause that's, that was all over the 401k plan there. So to have somebody retire from there with a million, million two in, in uh, UPS stack is very normal. Okay, or there's people that have, ridiculously enough, a real lot of people had Bear Stearns in their Bear Stearns 401k that lost, and Bear Stearns. So the day they lost their job, they lost their retirement too. So you gotta be a little careful of that. But I never, I never had a, any kind of view at all, Chan, that I had enough information. And then, same thing when talks about real estate. I, for me to judge a bank, somebody will say, Chief, what do you think about Bank America versus Citigroup? One thing I know for sure, John, is I'm not getting the skinny from either one of those places, and how, how would I even make a choice? Right. You know, when, when there was local banking, um, and, and this could be parlayed into a, a strategy for positive advertising, you probably knew a lot more, and even if, if they didn't, yeah. if a savings and loan didn't publish its balance sheet, although many of them did, Chesterfield Federal used to have it up on its easel as you walked in the door. You had to read this thing before you even got in line to see a teller, and it had every you know line, what their, you know, where their cash was held, how much they had on hand, and how many properties they they had acquired through foreclosure of their mortgages, and that was always the last item, and it was always zero dollars. But you also knew people who worked there, <laughs> and you know they, they were. It was hard for them to insulate themselves from the scrutiny of the people who shopped in the neighborhood and talked to the tellers and people who worked there. They, this was always a kind of transparency factor that is totally gone now. And and as a result, it, like you say, there's no way you're going to get the, the scuttle. 
involvement on any of this stuff. It, there's too much writing on people controlling its, you know, what the quality of the information is and how it comes out and what kind of you know spin we have to put on it. If, if, if we can't spin it in this direction anymore, we still got to put a spin on it. It's going to keep us from going under. There's so much you know at stake here that you know you really don't trust any of the data, and there's no way to to get it, no way to ask for it, no way to, to sift it through. They might give you a data dump somehow, but they're not even going to do that. It'll probably only be in discovery in some massive lawsuit. Well, funny you should uh, lead the people to go through it. Funny you should mention it before before Jan on the show. We used to have a a lady, still a good friend. In fact, I just heard from her this weekend. She's doing good for those who. I remember her, Kathleen Durbin. I mean, when she ended up having to uh, work from home and all stuff for Northern Trust, and she was working in the middle of the night when they put through a whole new system for like a year, <clears throat> she ended up not helping us on the show. But um, anyway, really miss her because she's um, she used to give us uh, all these people from Europe and everything. Manny, uh, remember? She was great at booking guests. Yeah, we yeah. had. Uh, she's the one who got us, Doctor uh, Professor Goodhart. Remember? Remember? We've only had man, how many how many people that we've had on the show that I thought were total bleeps. I mean, there was only there was only two. In all all the interviews we had, to be honest with you, well, actually maybe three. Uh, one was remember the guy from uh, he he was on what 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 do you, what do you call the Euro, the European board and uh, the European Parliament and uh, the ECU and in, uh, in Brussels, John? Who are those guys? They're like representatives from all the different countries. Oh yeah, they're just—I mean—they're really not elected, not elected body at all. They're just sort of like a—it's <laughs> like a bad board. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, Jan or uh, Manny, who was that guy? He was from—was he from Sweden or something? God, was he? They both take the presidency, you know, yeah. among the various member countries. But this, I mean, that guy was the absolute horse's ass. <laughs> oh yeah, well, a lot of, a lot of them in the EU Parliament, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, he—he he was. Uh, this is one of on the. Uh, the Brits were, were were trying to whether they're getting in and out of the uh, EU, right? So yeah. we had this guy on, and, and Kathy got this dude. It was great. And he's like, "What do you say, Matty? That that the British politicians just didn't educate their people properly, so they voted the way they were supposed to, or <laughs> some line like that? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> we we just didn't educate our people properly to vote the way we wanted them to, and how they should, or something along those lines. I'm thinking." Isn't that why? That's probably how anyone who loses an election feels. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he actually said it. Which, which is, you know, it's it's one thing that they actually feel it. I I thought uh, David Stockman was a hero. Remember him? Maybe he was a horrible oh, guest. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, he was. He never. The guy. The guy can. Well, he must have talked for twenty minutes without taking a breath. He had his stump speech on his book, and we, we never got a word in edgewise, did we, Matty? <laughs> <laughs> And the guy from the school board, he he didn't like us either. Remember? Yeah. Remember we got all the tweets about me and my rich friends. Was it, were you one of my rich friends? Maybe. Yeah, he thought you were you were an elitist. Yeah, because you didn't support the poor teachers. Which, yeah. not that you don't support the poor teachers, but let me add them. Yeah. All I did was say something like, um, if, "If the if the pension stuff keeps growing faster than the average." wage of the average Chicago and you end up with a zero-sum game, you better hope the last man standing better have a lot of money. And, he, and his, he, he said no matter how many, no matter what you have to do, you, it's your responsibility to get enough money out of the rest of the people to take care of your obligations to the teachers or something like that. I'm like, he didn't really say well, that. Well, I mean, I understand yeah. his point. If you signed a contract, we expect the contract to be 
lived up to, and, and that is an obligation. But I also understood your point. Well, if the money's not there, <laughs> then what? Yeah, well, you can... Uh, Oh God! I was going to say something nasty. Like you can you can sign a contract to a a, a future a future wife. I'm not so sure that's so good either, Manny. But yeah, <laughs> just, just say, <laughs> you, you'll you'll never give me any grief. Okay, I, here you signed it right here. You <laughs> on both sides, right? Anyway, but no, I've, we've had uh, um, really uh, you know a, a lot of. We, I don't think we've had really. I love every guest we've had pretty much. Those guys, I'd like to have those bad guys back. Yeah, the guy from the guy from Sweden, keep him. He was, he was just kind of a, we talk about a bureaucrat. Wow. Uh, but Professor Goodhart, God, was he good, Matty, or what? He was. Did we, is he, he's still around. Didn't he move, he moved to the U.S., didn't he? I don't know. I haven't checked in on him in a long time. But, uh, anyway, John. Yeah, but, but just getting information on these places, that's why I, I don't think I've ever recommended a bank. Oh, anyway, what, what, what got me started was, uh, Kathy had, had a friend who was always trying to find a bank to purchase, right? So we'd meet for coffee once in a while. Real nice guy from Southside. And you can get really deep information on these small banks, who their loans are. Not every loan, but the biggest loans and balance and who the boards are. And uh, he was able to get all that. Way more information than you ever could on, like, Bank America or someplace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, even, you know, the, the old, you know, late great continental Illinois National Bank and Trust Company of Chicago, that was a mouthful. Yeah. But, um, in 1984, when I was in, in the title business, and we were in daily contact with the people at Continental Bank because they were probably our biggest single customer. We got most of their residential mortgage business for title work, and I, you know, I was in their offices and go out to lunch with them. They, they, you know, just talk on the phone back and forth. Push so and so's deal ahead. By the way, what are you doing this weekend? It was a very friendly kind of relationship. And one of the loan officers called me one day in 1984, and ostensibly to ask about some file they needed to be pushed through fast but your voice was shaking she said there's something going on around here today have you heard anything about continental are we are we okay everybody's like the answer is they weren't running behind closed doors and it was it was the penn square failure you know that eventually took down the whole bank but but that word was on the street you know i I shared it with people in my office they shared it with their family members the people continental bank certainly knew something was up and they were very worried about it because this was you know, maybe they wouldn't have a job next week for all they knew. And it was pretty hard to conceal that. And it, within, you know, days, it was hitting the newspapers and everybody knew the extent of it. I just don't see that kind of dissemination of information possible now when you've got so much control and so much chicanery and, and lying going on. Very few people know the extent of what's ever happening at these places. And the only ones that do are so corrupted by, you know, the way they got that job, that they're not going to just pick up the phone and call somebody of theirs and spill the beans. Hey, we're about to go on. Well, plus, be, be prepared. You know, it, it's not like that with these out, outfits, and that's that's the danger. It's well, not only the too too big to fail, but they're too big for anybody to talk about them failing. They're also they get their head so far up the ass of the Fed that you don't know who we're, right. who's right. What, which is in on the deal too. Yeah, you know? but, it's, but you know, interesting about Continental. I know you. The, the thing you just mentioned was the one that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back, but they, one of my, uh, always oh, one, was a clerk, then a trader for me, a big basketball star at DePaul, uh, Tom Tracy. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know Tom. And his, his brother was, uh, coach at Ignatius for years and years, and then was the, the athletic director there for, until he retired, right? His older brother? Uh, yep. Tell us his name. Uh, it was Tom and, uh, John, right? John Tracy, yeah. Yeah, and a nice guy. 
Well, Tom died young, unfortunately, but his wife was a young attorney working at Continental Bank. And one day she she goes, hey, can I bend your ear for a bit? And I said, yeah. She goes, you uh, you did a lot of work in Chicago on this when we were, you know, they were deregulating the airlines and the trucking companies. Continental Bank was up to their neck in these trucking companies that as soon as the the paper they had, I better explain this for a second. It, you, right now, if, if you want to pick up a load of stuff at Matty Weber's house and drop it as a, and get paid to drop it off at his mother's house in Iowa, you can do it. There was a time when you couldn't. You needed a, 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 a certificate, the right, to, to move cartage from Illinois interstate commerce to go from state to state. So you needed moving, where it was a moving van or whatever it was, you needed a, you needed a, a paper, they used to call it, to go from Illinois to Iowa. Now I used to work for Illinois California Express, and they had paper to go from Chicago to Colorado, and they couldn't stop in Iowa or Nebraska. They didn't have, they didn't have that right. They go to Colorado, they go to California, they go to Arizona. So those were the four states they had paper in. I don't, they might have had Utah, but I don't know. And, uh, anyway, this stuff was very valuable, even if the company wasn't doing so hot. And Continental Bank got caught with huge equipment loans to places that as soon as they lost their paper, they really lost their value. The Illinois California Express had just paid like the then real number of like several million dollars to some sort of defunct firm in Ohio just for their paper. So they would be able to go east in, in, in addition to west. And they, they couldn't, it couldn't have been three months later, the government declared like a free market, which they should have anticipated, by the way, uh, and free market in it. And all that, you know, all, all that stuff they just bought was useless. So I'm going to say Illinois California Express is one of the top ten money makers in the cartridge business in 1977, and by 1980 they were out of business. They had spent so much money on an expansion right before the. Ex- it was like buying, uh, you know, 20 cab medallions, and all of a sudden the city said, "Well, you don't need a medallion to drive a cab anymore." It's basically the same thing, even though the city hasn't said that about cab medallions. But anyway, John, I'm saying it's it is really difficult to uh, to be, and that's why I, I really. Uh, the one thing I do mention to, to uh, clients is, if you have a single stock portfolio, no matter who it is, you've got a you, you you don't have to, but it might be worth you know either protecting it or finding over the next period of five years where instead of 100% X Y Z or 60% X Y Z and 40% Q's spiders and something like that, where you're at least diversified. I mean. I mean, it's it's nice to have the one stock that goes straight up. And clearly, in the last twenty years, if you'd have bought, you know, Apple when Steve Jobs was out, at where was it, five bucks a share, and poured all your money into Apple, well, you'd be telling me I'm an idiot for saying you don't want to be concentrated, right? But how many of those are out there, John? You know, right. one out of, I mean, I. Well, and, and to, to kind of Nettles' credit, um, when when they had to unwind every you know, all their assets and sell everything off. They were pretty heavily invested in loop real estate, you know, in scattered yeah. office buildings, not their headquarters. They never owned their headquarters. They just leased there, but they owned other buildings outright in the loop that they, you know, were taking in money and managing and everything else. And they, they had to sell off all of that stuff when the bank's assets had to be unwound. But they made money, I think, on every single bank or every building that they sold because they had taken care of them. It was a very different real estate market in 1985 downtown. And you could actually sell a building even in a distressed situation and do very well on it. You didn't lose money on it. And, of course, that option really isn't there anymore now either. Because any office building now, I'm sure, has had a significant reduction in 
has the ability to satisfy any of their creditors out of any of the stuff they may be hanging on to in a market like this because they're just watching the value of these assets vaporize day by day. Well, John, what... It's a uh, totally different market now. We've only got a, a couple of minutes, but uh, my, my guys, Thursday night, we went out and had an adult beverage. Of course, you were invited. You were redoing that sock drawer again, but uh, the, the, the CVS, we were talking about 175 and one guy was saying, well, the CVS left because of the rent. And I said, well, it's... I know the guy who managed the building, so it's not... Well, they're all gone now, so it's not speaking out of turn. I think their rent was seventeen five a month. It was big CVS. They did a huge business. Uh, and they... Uh, well, big for downtown. It wasn't big for CVS and the Burbs. But, and they had, I don't know how many bazillion prescriptions in there, Jen. It was... They, they, was, they were hopping. And uh, as time went by... The city, the the building went from being basically a piece of crap, bought by these diamond merchants in New York. They put what they put one hundred and twenty million dollars in the place. What one hundred twenty million is a lot of money. All new lobby, all new everything. They took it from a, a babe, maybe a B office space to you could you could get it almost to an A. I'd say right in the area, yep. area you wanted. Yep. Well, city's right at them. As soon as the revenue went up, the taxes going up, going up, going up. And from what my buddy told me, they were up to the the triple net lease, where you, your lease goes up with the taxes and other stuff, the rent was still seventeen five. They must have been there fifteen years or so, twelve or the rent they were still okay with, but the the taxes and everything else it got there was another quarter million a year. So it was that it was that's twenty grand a month or more, more. So it was the all the other crap, the taxes increases and everything over the period of time over there, ended up being more than their rent. Now everybody's out of there. The building is now foreclosed. How quickly or at all does the city run that number back down again? I mean, I mean, I, the the city was part of the issue why these people were leaving. Right, and the city's appetite is increasing all the time for more money. They're not, they're not going to back down until their back is to the wall too, and they have to declare bankruptcy. I hate to to use that word with with the city, but it has happened before in other cities. Um, but this, you know, you apply enough pressure. It's like it's like a sharecropper economy, Tom. If you put money into an asset, thinking this will improve your life or your ability to earn a living, all it does is drive up, you know, the value of this to the person who's really own it, owns it, and they just put that on your back, and you end up having to just walk away from it. So there's no no particular incentive to taking care of an asset or putting money into it because it's going to cost you a lot more down the road for having done that. Well, how's the city plan on, on replacing this money in downtown? Good question. Maybe maybe more, you know, stoplight cameras, traffic cameras. <laughs> why, don't they, why don't they send everybody a bill every month? Here, here's here's a ticket. Cab drivers accused told me that they they were get one guy was pretty. He claims they were issued a ticket every month, just a ticket. It was just part of the deal, even if you weren't anywhere. Like you'd never be on Michigan Avenue, and all of a sudden you get a ticket for driving too slow on Michigan Avenue or something. <laughs> I mean, well, like the airlines, it's still have the nine eleven fee. I think this Chicago and these other cities should just have a fiscal mis- mismanagement fee. Just earmark it for our stupid mistakes and misspending your money. But please give us more next time. Well, that is it, John. Thank you very much. Talk to you later in the week. Uh, SP futures down twelve now, and as if he's down sixty two. I've been lurking right in here. Come back, Mister Carl Denninger. He wasn't on on Friday because we were off on Friday, so he's going to come on today, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, about God knows what. We'll be right back. Stocks and jacks. 
How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading options ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 799 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SB Futures down 1250. SA Futures down 57. Uh, make that 58. And, uh, Dow futures are only down a little bit. Dow futures are only down 27. Individual stocks in the Dow. Uh, I've got Caterpillar up 202. Caterpillar was up last week a bunch too. Uh, I've got Honeywell down 34 cents. I've got really nothing. Uh, Salesforce down 66 cents. United Healthcare up a buck 18. Uh, Verizon down 124. Uh, make, I'm sorry, Visa down 124. Uh, I always keep thinking Verizon's V. Uh, v is Visa. VZ is Verizon. Uh, over in Asia, we've got Nikkei down 293, 1%. And this is interesting because last night when I checked this early, they were down over 2%. They came back halfway. Uh, Shanghai down 15.5%. Hang Seng's actually up 143.7%. Over in Europe, 
up as well. Uh, DAX up 87.6 percent, FTSE up 35.5 percent, CAC around up 47. That's 0.7. So the earlier the earlier places that opened last night were down the most, and then the rest of them started to come uh, positive. And now uh, you're positive. We opened down 30 in the spools last night. And now we're on, like I said, we're only down 11. Uh, bonds up two basis points, 2.83. That's the highest yield in more than three years. Uh, the bond positive 0.84, Japan uh, positive 0.24, and I think I'm going to stop after this. I'm stopping saying positive, Matty, because it hasn't been negative in a while. Uh, U.S. on Thursday, Dow down 113, not bad there. S&P down 54, though that was a lot, 1.2%. NASDAQ another 2.2% uh, 2% loser, down 292. Oil, 48 cents, 107.43, Brent up 70 cents, 112.40, natural gas, the the news of the day, up another 27 cents, 7.57. We talked about that with Greg earlier. Uh, a lot of that's even high, way higher in Europe as we're trying to get as many of the liquid natural gas ships as we can and uh, ship them over to uh, uh, Europe. And I think we're like something like 3% of our stuff's being exported. We could export more and it would help them and help us. Uh, gold, up $23 now, 1998.70. Is it, is it going to touch 2000 uh, silver up 70 cents, 26.40. It's a big move. It's almost a 3% move in silver. Copper down 2 cents, uh, uh, well, to 4.69. And we've got crypto down 900 bucks, 39,337. Matty, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We're seeing the traffic volumes pick up. Uh, it is getting drier out there. It was uh, kind of raining and sleeting earlier this morning. Uh, there's still some of that in the area. Uh, but no accidents to report, so we're off to a decent start in spite of that. Only crash in the area is off the expressways. It's up on the North Shore, US-41 at Town Line Road. There was an accident, but everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, another uh, cold and dreary spring day, I guess. Uh, cloudy with rain and snow mixed this morning, a high of just 42 as we continue this rough stretch of being 15 to 20 degrees below normal. And it's not going to really improve until later this week, where we'll be in the 70s this weekend. Uh, but today, a high of 42. Right now, it's overcast and 36 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy with a high of 98 today. Right now, it's clear and 65. In sports, Bulls dropped game one of their first-round playoff series to the Bucks last night up in Milwaukee, 93-86. to Suns won their first game of the their Western Conference playoff series over the Pelicans, 110-99. to in baseball, Cubs beat the Rockies 6-4. White Sox lost to the Mariners 9-3. Diamondbacks were shut out by the Mets 5-0. And lastly, in hockey, Blackhawks were off last night. They're back in action tonight as the Calgary Flames come to town. That's a 7 p.m. puck drop at the United Center. Chief. You're not going? Uh, no. My uh, significant other, Audrey, yesterday, she heads out. She tells me, it was so nice out that I took all the winter coverings off the lawn stuff. I go, oh, it's supposed to snow tonight. Oh. <laughs> Are you saying she didn't time that the best? Uh, I have a hunch that your lovely bride is anxious to go out and plant something, too. And she very not, much is, yeah. She's and a it's big, just not time. It's not time yet. It's, it's, it sucks. We just it's we can't even get sunlight, let alone warm temperatures. Uh, I'm saying the guys on Tampa Bay that are here in Chicago for a week, if they aren't older and have been here before, are never coming back. <laughs> So, so do we have, uh, we have Mr. Carl Denninger with us. Uh, we also have, uh, uh, I didn't realize that, that Carl did, uh, comedy on the weekends, man. Inflation is our friend. <laughs> For example, consider this. 
In the year 2000, if current trends continue, the average blue-collar annual wage in this country will be $568,000. Think what this inflated world of the future will mean. Most Americans will be millionaires. Everyone will feel like a big shot. Wouldn't you like to own a $4,000 suit and smoke a $75 cigar, drive a $600,000 car? I know I would. But what about people on fixed incomes? They have always been the true victims of inflation. That's why I will present to Congress the Inflation Maintenance Program, whereby the U.S. Treasury will make up any inflation-caused losses through direct tax rebates to the public in cash. Now, you may say, won't that cost a lot of money? Won't that increase the deficit? Sure it will. But so what? We'll just print more money. We have the papers, we have the mints. I can just call up the Bureau of Engraving and say... Hi, this is Gemma. Roll off some of them 20s. Print up a couple of thousand sheets of those century notes. Sure, the glut of dollars will cause even more inflation, but who cares? Everybody will be a millionaire. <laughs> Carl, did you get paid for that, I hope? You know, <laughs> I, I am very... I, I did not have a full espresso that I was sipping while that was playing. If I had, I'd need a new keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a riot or what? Uh, Danny Aykroyd had to be, what, 25 years old when he did that? Yeah, probably. You know, it's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how many people will go ahead with whatever the latest shiny object is that somebody has shoved out in front of them. And then, you know, despite the fact that mathematically or on a basis of physics what they're trying to do can't possibly work and, and then when it does exactly what you would expect to happen given the mathematics and the physics uh, then it's uh, oh we we never saw that coming we, we had no way to know that that terrible thing was going to happen and it doesn't seem to matter what the terrible thing is you know we do, we're, we're hearing this now you know it's all Putin's fault this is all. This is all a result of you know what Putin did in Ukraine. Um, excuse me. We heard that about COVID too. It was all the virus's fault. Well, you know what? The virus did not cause anybody to actually print more credit up and hand it out to people to sit at home. No, the virus is an inanimate object. It, can, it, it cannot do this. It cannot force anybody to do a particular thing. It might kill you. You might get sick. But the virus cannot cause those things. You, you cause those things. Well, that's the truth. And I uh, remember that uh, the... Uh, you, I didn't ask you, Carl. Have you ever heard of this guy, John Steele Gordon? Was he one of your guys? No. Uh... Where's the Millbrook School? Millbrook is that a college? Uh, don't know. Anyway, he's a uh, one of these guys. You ever heard of this this, this uh, thing he writes for? Is I M P R Imprimis? Is that what they call it? Anyway, he's a monetarist guy, and a you know, and you and I, you know, we we were all over this, and obviously Professor Harold Snar is too. So, but I didn't. I mean, this he has a. Somebody handed the me. Millbrook School, by the way, apparently is a private boarding school in Millbrook, New York. Oh God! Oh, that's a high school then. It's yeah, be. yeah. Uh, private co-ed boarding school. 
And I don't think I ever want to be one of those. I'd be out on that. That's not that's not Southside. Anyway, uh, but I, but you and I have danced around it a lot of times, uh, Carl. And but this guy essentially uh, explains fully. It's not whether government spends more than they take in. It's how they finance it. And uh, if either you can either tax for it, you can uh, borrow it, or you can print it. And I had never, and you're going to tell me I should I should have known this, and I'll, I'll take that criticism. The correlation he, he makes between the North and the South during the Civil War is absolutely spectacular. Yeah. And where, where the North had the ability, even though they spent a fortune and had like a $4 billion deficit over the war, which is a lot of dough back then, they had uh, they were able to tax a big chunk of it, over 50%, and they were able to raise taxes... I'm sorry. They they borrowed over fifty percent of it and were able to raise taxes to raise another forty percent. So they really only printed twelve percent of it. And he said the inflation was right where you expect it. It was twelve to fifteen percent a year because you were printing twelve percent money, twelve percent of the, and uh, it was manageable. Where the South didn't wasn't able to uh, tax, wasn't able to borrow because nobody had any money. So they were. They were like 60% they financed it through uh, money, and within a year or two, their inflation was like 200%. It was really, you know, other than some of the battles, that's the reason why the South lost the war. They, their, their currency went to zero. Plus, he said they had an inferior paper, so it was easy to counterfeit, which made it even worse. Right. Well, it, you know, it's it, it, one of the things, and, and this, by the way, this, this lesson from the Civil War uh, has driven... Many of the so-called uh, sanctioning kind of actions that the United States and other nations have taken over the last fifty or so years is that we we have this concept that we can essentially collapse a adversary's economy and therefore prevent them from being able to fight. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting that. You have to be careful when you start trying to generalize things because, first off, you can't print money. You can print credit, but you cannot print money. Uh, money is what you get as a, as a surplus when you produce something. Credit is fungible with it. You know, the $20 bill in my wallet uh, spends exactly the same as does the, the Visa card that's sitting there. Well, in those days, they're, they actually did print it. I mean, they actually printed the greenbacks. Right. No, I know. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, when the green, but you know, when when we had that, but but the thing is, is that although I I get it that people say, well, they printed it, but in fact, what they've actually done is is the the from an economic perspective, from a mathematical perspective, they've done exactly the same thing as what happens when you emit credit into the economy with no intent to ever take it back and pay it off. Which is what we've been doing for the last uh, oh gee for how long now right I mean with you know with the, with the treasury bill you know treasury notes and bonds that have been issued they're never paid off they're rolled over they're ne- and and most corporations operate on exactly the same sort of, of premise okay when, when was the last time that you saw debt actually retired from a major corporation oh right. Never. I, it doesn't happen. It gets rolled over. You know, I mean, you've, you've got this building. It's this huge, you know, the, you have this huge office building. It costs, you know, it costs $3 billion to build. Okay. Uh, and and uh, how did you do that? Well, you didn't have $3 billion, so you issued bonds. Okay, fine. Um, you, you build the thing. 
and then but when the bonds mature do, do you pay back the three billion of course not so I mean uh, you know I, uh, when I lived in Northwest Florida we had a bridge that was built um, to to essentially take about uh, 40 minutes off a trip that otherwise would you know you'd have to go around right because there's water in the way so the this was sold to the people that lived there at the time this before I moved there as the the fees, the tolls, are going to pay down the bonds, and when the bonds are retired, we're going to lift the, you know, we're going to lift the tolls, and and then all we have to do is maintain the roadway and such, right? I mean, you know, it's, you got to, you know, you got to repave it every now and then, fill the potholes, whatever. Okay, fine. Um, you know how that ended up working out, right? Well, the you lived in Chicago for a while, as we see yet another major widening. Not saying they don't need it or not. The Tri-State Tollway, when it was built. I believe the tolls were supposed to be extinguished by... It was built in the late 50s, 60s, I'm going to say. I think there were supposed to be no tolls by the mid-70s or 1980s, and the tolls have nothing but go straight up as they find more and more things will make it three-lane. I remember driving a thing was two-lane. Now it's four, and we're pushing for five. And then we had an extension here, an extension there. There's never... You're never going to get rid of anybody the tollway authority. It's just not. But this is a very, a very uh, crude uh, math here. I, I looked at it. I don't have it on my screen anymore. I think we're down uh, 650, 680 billion dollars deficit in the last six months, uh, Carl. And 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 real loosely, the balance sheet's gone from eight million four eighty to eight million. Uh, Nine sixty-five, so it's a it's a very loose association, but it's that says that we have essentially on ninety or eighty percent of our deficit is has been essentially financed by printed money or or uh, increase in the balance sheet. I don't know if this is exactly accurate, but if it's anywhere near close, we're we're essentially doing worse than the South did in the Civil War. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the but here's the thing. The point that I've that I've been making for the last couple of decades, and and you know for the entire fifteen-ish years that I've been writing the ticker, is that everybody loves to to use this this BS argument that essentially all the warmongering that we do is about the petrodollar. You know, we killed Saddam because he was he said he was going to sell oil for euros. And, uh, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And, and, and this nonsense about reserve currencies. Okay, it's garbage. The reality is that the United States dollar is the preferred currency for international trade because of our historical stability. Because. Okay? So we're, we are progressively, we've been progressively destroying that stability. <laughs> And and we haven't done it in a year or two. We've done it over the space of 20 or 30 years. And while we're doing it, we are moving production overseas, not because it's better, not because it's faster, because it is neither of the two, but because it's cheaper, and it allows us to externalize costs that we do not want to bear in the United States. I When I grew up, uh, the the area where I grew up had a big chemical plant, and every time you drove past it, your eyes watered. 
the water, the fish in the water around me, you could not eat. This was terrible. Right? I mean, I, you know, I don't know what the, how anybody can say it isn't, but it provided the goods and services that we needed in the local economy. The costs were internalized right there in the local community. You use your water, and it was your air that got polluted in order to produce whatever it was you want produced. Okay, should we clean that up? Of course we should, if we can. Uh, but we didn't clean it up. What we did was we shoved it over to China. Well, that's right. And I, but well, I did, Chief, okay, here's, here's, another, here's another prime example. Right? You, you saw this thing in the newspapers about Abbott doing truck inspections as a so-called punitive thing about immigration policy. Okay? Maybe that was his motivation and maybe it wasn't. I don't, I don't know and I don't care. What I do care about is what those inspections found. And, and it was buried in a Reuters story that nobody has talked about. And that is that 25% of the Mexican trucks that have come into the United States, because he was stopping every last one of them and doing compliance inspections, 25% had immediate out-of-service defects in the brakes, in the tires, and in the lighting. Now, if you were running a United States-based trucking company and you had that kind of a record when your trucks went through the way stations and got randomly inspected, you'd have your ticket punched. Well, Carl, it's uh, if you look at the economics of it, I mean, I'm talking about the... We don't have you for your usual hour today. We will on Friday, but the short the short version as well as I can. If you, if you got a, a community or a country or a state, however big you want to define it, I mean, we had a community here in the United States, and Roosevelt, who was no dummy economically, I mean, the, I mean he, he took uh, child labor out of the out of the system because uh, a he didn't want fourteen year old girls. I'm not so sure that was a. That might have been b. A he didn't want them in the workforce because it it it, it uh, increases supply and caused the people to get paid too little all across all across the board, right? I'm right. not, not going to say which is A or which is B, but yanking people under 16 out of the workforce had a huge effect on uh, supply and demand for labor, which is the same as supply and demand for anything else, correct? So all of a sudden, right. these manufacturers, sniveling as they were, had to pay more. Now, did they pay like they pay now? No, but they had to pay more, um, especially in the garment industries and places like that. You even had a rise in unions in those industries, which never would have happened if you still had 14-year-old girls working in the factories, I don't think. So what you do is you, and the idea as a, as a homogenous group, as Henry Ford put it correctly, I better pay enough for somebody in my factory to be able to afford to buy a car or I'm not getting anywhere, right? So as a whole group, um, if, if we're all in this together sort of thing, you want your everybody to be doing okay in the country because you want a 1,000 bass boats to be sold rather than one yacht because guess what? An awful lot of more people assemble the, the bass boats, and it, it starts to play on itself, and you gain a momentum, right, which is... Absolutely, and, uh, but, you know, Ford was absolutely right, it, and yet, look at what we do now. We have assembly of vehicles in Mexico being put together by Mexicans, and not one of them can afford to buy the product being produced. Okay, now... So the the flip side, what you just said, by the way, thank you for that. Um, 
is all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave our homogenous group. The U.S. is no longer my playground. I get to go to pick a place, Mexico, China, some other place. I get to go there and assemble my stuff there because these guys, I don't have to pay them, quote, enough. I don't care right. if they ever can buy the Chevy or the Ford. I'm just going to be paying $3 an hour when, I used to pay, when I'm paying 10 or 12 here. I'm going to fool everybody. When all of a sudden the supplier's got to get on there. Well, Ford's down there, then Chevy got to get on there. But here's where I don't understand, uh, and I... And I to this day, if if he if he if I could clone him and he came out of the grave, maybe I'll ask this John Steele Gordon because he seems like a Milton Friedmanite. Uh, Milton Friedman was absolutely convinced that this was quote a very good idea because if you brought things down to Mexico, all of a sudden when Chevy goes down there and Cadillac and I was going to say Oldsmobile, but they're not around anymore. All of a sudden, the demand for labor down there is going to work as well. They will politically act the same way we did in the 30s and they'll have their own quote Roosevelt and all of a sudden what you're really doing is making customers and 50 years from now everybody in Mexico is making as much here and you're going to do so much more in exports that you'll forget all about the little bit of hit you took for a couple of years Why? you know what that's what, that's what we were sold when NAFTA was passed yeah, right yeah. Why, but my question is Kyle, why did that is the US such a singular place and I'm beginning to think this is true that's why, I've, I've, as much as people think I criticize, I criticize because I think we are we are that special. We were able to have unions. We were able to do the things to where the working people got, I won't say a fair share, but enough of a share to where, I won't say everybody was living happily because never, not everybody's happy, but there was some, there was a middle class, there was, the, you know, people who worked on the assembly line had a nice life, had a house, had a car. Why all of a sudden has that not happened in Mexico and in China? They're no better off than they were, slightly better off than they were 30 years ago. Is, is it did Milton Friedman underestimate the politics of either dictatorship or or the gangs or something? I mean, where, where did he go wrong? Because it obviously has not happened. Well, where where he went wrong is that he assumed that that political reform. And the overthrow of political oppression would follow the economic activity that was shoved over there uh, by by our manufacturers and by you know by American businesses. He was wrong, and and uh, you know I mean I it's it's a nice theory, but the problem with all theories is that you have to look at the facts after you've run your experiment for a while and see whether whether or not your hypothesis holds up, and and. The science, I remind you, is about is not about confirming your hypothesis because if you run an experiment, you confirm your hypothesis, you haven't learned anything. That's what you thought was going to happen. Science is about refuting your hypothesis. When I when I look at data, and I'm I'm you know studying something, whatever it is, whether it's a COVID thing, whether it's an economic thing, whether it's it's you know what, what the dollar is going to do, whatever have you. And I've talked about a lot of these over the years. What I'm trying to do is find evidence that I'm wrong. I'm not looking for evidence that I'm right. Because if I'm right, then I've learned nothing. That's what I believed was going to happen. So what I'm always after is, where's the evidence that I'm incorrect? And can I follow that up and then, and then make better decisions based upon that in the future? And that's what we should be doing. But we have in front of us a 30 plus year record that when you when you do this sort of thing and you shove production overseas 
the premise that this will lead to political reform and that the, the standard of livings will essentially equalize between the two places is false. We know it's false. It is. It's, it's, it, it hasn't been true in Vietnam. It hasn't been true in Bangladesh. It hasn't been true in China. It hasn't been true in Mexico. It hasn't been true anywhere. Now, if you have countries where they have comparable standards of living to start with, for example, we do import some things and exchange some things with Germany, then yeah. uh, there isn't a problem. But, but you're not driving the political environment between Germany and the United States. It's the other way around. The political environment is driving the economic. Okay, so... I. Uh First of all, there's nothing there I can refute, nor do I want to. And uh, it was said better than I could say it. But no, we only got one minute, Carol, and we'll, we'll kick this off again. For, but the question is, what makes us different, or did events just make us different? How, how big of an event, it's never going to happen again, let's hope, uh, was the fact that all kinds of people from all walks of life made money during World War II, and you had to pay people to get on the assembly line. And oh, by the way, when everybody came back, you had this thing called the GI Bill, were those two events so singular that that's what put us in the, to where we are? You know, I really don't know, um, but I think that there, that the the structure of a society and the cohesiveness of same has a, has a whole lot more to do, along with its political environment that that tends to be generated by that has a whole lot more to do with it than does the the theories that you can shove that into another country through economics. I don't think that works. I would agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm still anxious as to why, and maybe the two of us can figure it out on Friday. But SB Futures down 13 now, and as if he's down 45, we'll see what this week brings. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Hey, guys. What's up, G? Want to go to Chachki's? Get some coffee? Oh, it's a little early. I, mean. I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.